So are you ready to PR yourself? We'll remove the mystery from all things PR and we'll discuss everything from our top strategies to tips and tricks and everything that you can utilize to further enhance your brand or your message. I've been in media, I'm a journalist, and I'm also a publicist. I am Leah Frazier, CEO of Think3 Media and your host for PR Yourself with Leah Frazier. Let's go. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to PR Yourself with Leah Frazier. You guys, listen, you guys are blowing my mind. We just received notification that this podcast is in the top 30, number 29 actually, in the U.S. for marketing podcasts and in the top 100 in Canada for marketing podcasts. So thank you to each and every one of you faithful listeners. Thank you guys for sharing this out. Thank you for interacting with me. Thanks for sharing it on social media. We're just extremely grateful that this project has reached the levels that it has in such a short period of time. So thank you again. And I want you guys to just get interactive, you know, go on PR yourself with LeahFraser.com. Leave me a message and let me know if you have an episode suggestion or there's something going on with your business that you want me to bring in the experts to help and tell you how to PR it better. Again, get involved. You're going to go to the link in my bio at the Leah Frazier on Instagram. And I have a whole list of things you can do. You can join our private Facebook group. In that group, I go live. I tell you what's hot and trending in social media and marketing and PR. I put media leads in there. There's one I've got to do today. (laughs) So, and you're also going to want to interact with the other women, um, And I think we have some men in that community now um, in that private Facebook community, okay? Because I'm going to start growing that so that you guys can discuss among yourselves how to PR yourselves better as we move through 2021 and beyond. Also, if you're interested, we still have the monthly membership available. It's only $49 a month, and you can find information on that at think3media.com forward slash think3edu. That is our monthly membership where I literally do a class session like I would teach with my students at the university. I do a class session on what's hot in marketing and public relations. I give you your takeaways. I give you something to work on for 30 days. And then several weeks later, we come back and we mastermind as a group to make sure that we're working on that one thing that you are just you need to get worked on for that month. And we continue that monthly. And it's a great resource. And it's a great way and affordable way for you to hear from me, I bring in experts and also for you to have accountability that way you're working through for solutions for your small business or as an entrepreneur. And lastly, (laughs) you're going to want to stay tuned. Yes, PRYourselfBook.com. You're going to want to sign up for that as we get closer to the book being released. But also, you're going to want to go to PR Yourself um, with LeahFraser.com online. There's a tab called Course, and you're going to want to sign up there because I am re releasing my live course one last time. I know I said that before. I'm going to do it again. I have just revised it. I've created a couple more modules and it's really going to go into a little bit more of an organized depth on how you can earn free media and press coverage consistently for your small business and your brand. And again, it's super duper affordable and I want to offer that to you guys. So thank you guys so much for tuning in 
and enjoy this latest episode. And I look forward to hearing from you all. Welcome back to another episode of PR Yourself with Leah Frazier. I have an amazing guest for you guys. I have been excited all day. I'm not even going to lie to you. Um, I am going to bring on Mike Deason. Now, listen, he is now it says 12 time Emmy winning investigative reporter, but yes, 12 time winning, but nominated 40 or it was it over 40 times. Yeah. Yeah. I lost so, more than I won. You it know? does yeah. not matter. It's the nomination that counts. That means you did a bang up job. This is, just, I was, I mean, I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate. I mean, look, look at this. The only broadcast journalist in the state to be honored by the Society of Professional Journalists as the Florida Journalist of the Year. We talked about more than 40 um, nominations for Emmy Awards. I mean, 2015's Influence Magazine named you as one of the 100 most influential people affecting Florida politics. I mean, you have a wealth of knowledge. We're going to get into some very interesting topics today. So I'm so excited. So welcome to my show, Mike Deason. I'm thrilled to be here with you, Leah. I truly am. How's everything going? Life is great. You know, I, I retired from the TV station four years ago, and I have never worked harder in my life since then. Um, I started an investigative documentary company, and I've done a bunch of documentaries. I wrote a book did an audible. I'm doing a radio show every week and uh, involved in a, a bunch of other projects. So I have no free time, but it, it's great. You know? Well, I'm glad you opened up some free time for me today. Um, I have a question, like what is life after like news for you? Were you scared to start your own thing? Well, you know, it, it was time. I had been at the, at that TV station 35 years and news has changed so much. Um, uh, and they wanted different types of stories than what I thought were important investigations. You, you see it across the country. Now, Dallas has some pretty good investigative reporters, but the TV stations shift to more personality type of um, stories. They want to know what's going on. You know, listen, I like Taylor Swift's music, but I never would want to do a story about Taylor Swift. You know, unless she yeah. was caught with the governor doing something crazy, but <laughs> <laughs> or accused Cuomo of doing something. I don't know. But no, what I'm saying is everything had changed and, and I had, had a wonderful career. And when I re retired, I was 68. So and and uh, I was planning a trip to Africa. It just seemed like the right time. And then I knew I wanted to uh, finish the book I'd been working on, and I knew I wanted to do an investigative documentary company. So I, you know, you 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 got to pull the plug at some point. Nothing lasts forever. Mm. And so, how are things working out now? Because I mean, I you've been an investigative journalist for a while. You've transitioned that into a company, and you even do investigative documentaries. So I'm thinking that's kind of a smooth transition you still yeah. do what you love i did a, a bunch of, i finished a two-year project about um, elephants being abused in circle circuses i went all around the country it's it, it really is um frightening people think because ringling went out of business that there aren't any more traveling elephants but there are mm -hmm. and they get abused we had some incredible undercover video i didn't shoot it but i talked to the people who sh uh, who did shoot it and to watch an elephant get beaten no. with a bullhook 
just mm. makes you know i had seen oh. it hundreds of times because when you add it you you see that and i still i'm glad to say have not become desensitized i jump every time i see that happen they are treated horribly they're locked up uh and chained 19 hours a day except when they either are transported in very tiny railroad cars uh, or trailers and and elephants are meant to roam wild and i saw that in africa um, and, and so I was really pleased with that. I'm starting a project now called Can't Convict a Cop. And basically what I'm doing is gathering video from uh, the police shootings in, in various localities and then uh, getting ready to talk to the family members who will talk to me of the people who lost uh, loved ones. But it's, it's almost impossible to convict a cop, we'll see what happens in uh, Minneapolis, but uh, because of the implied immunity of police officers. Mm -hmm. And uh, people have seen a lot of these videos, but I don't think anybody has ever compiled a bunch of them into mm -hmm. an hour and a half documentary. And when you see the shooting after shooting after shooting, it, it just is mind boggling. And it needs, people need to see this and we need to change the, the way we approach police shootings. So anyway, that 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 that's that's what is keeping me busy these days. Can I, but I want to ask you a question because of your career and then like you were saying the documentary The Elephants and now you're transitioning into um the police beatings and 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 it's just such a it's a topic that is emotional. It's hard to watch. Um when you and I were um, conversing through email prior, we were talking about executions you've also witnessed during your career. So like, how, how does one, how do you mentally do that, Mike? Well, you know, it, it's funny. The, uh, I, I saw a number of executions, the uh, <clears throat> a bunch in the electric chair and then lethal injection. The electric chair was macabre. I must tell you that. And the first time I saw uh, an execution in the electric chair. Uh, I was really nervous and, and and concerned about how I would be affected. But I've got to tell you, I um, I had a tougher time covering the murder scenes of the the people who were the victims of the person who was executed than watching the executions. I found one of the most upsetting things to me would be at a murder scene where there's crime tape and an unsuspecting relative comes up and then a police officer has to put his arm around that person and say, your loved one has just been murdered. Mm. And the wails of sorrow and sadness would give me nightmares. Mm. And then covering the court trial to have it go again and again uh, would give me nightmares. The executions for some reason didn't. Um, and I know I know that that's very bizarre, um, but uh, and particularly with, with, with the um, uh, lethal uh, uh, injections there, it was very perfunctory and, and sterile where the, um, the person who was going to be executed was lying on a gurney um, and would go to sleep. I, the, one of the the uh, the um, executions on lethal that I saw involved a guy by the name of Newton Slauson. And I got called out to that murder the night where he uh, killed his next door neighbors uh, with with a knife, cut 
one of the women who was pregnant's belly killed mm. a kid. And, and uh, I, I knew a lot of cops, you know, because you, you work in a market that long doing stories. And they said it was the bloodiest scene they had ever encountered in their life. That one gave me nightmares. When he was executed and he quit fighting his execution, he was on a gurney and he went to sleep. So, so I don't know. It did, it did not bother me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. But <laughs> no. <laughs> every, per, every person that I saw executed, um, there was no question that they did it. In fact, one of the guys I saw executed was a guy by the name of Gerald Eugene Stano. And I did a uh, prison interview with him, a contact interview. You weren't behind a glass. We spent an hour talking. And during the interview, we could not talk about his case because it was on appeal. He had come within eight hours of an execution in the Supreme Court stated. But we talked about his head being shaved because he was electrocuted, about his final meal, his thoughts and everything. And he kept saying during the interview, and they were going to they were going to execute an innocent man. They're going to execute an innocent man. And then when we finished when we do what's called the cutaways, that's where you mm -hmm. see the reporter over the guy's shoulder. I said to him, okay, I want to ask you one question. And depending on your answer, if you can give me a satisfactory answer, I promise I will do a story once a week until you are freed or executed. And he said, yeah, sure. What do you want to know, Mike? I said, if you are innocent, as you proclaimed the past hour, how did you lead the police to 30 of the 35 bodies of the women that they said that you murdered. And his uh, verbatim, verbatim response was, Mike, that's a problem. And my response to him was, uh, I had to use, I used profanity, which I won't hear. But no, I said, you can. Yeah, oh, I can. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> you don't mind? All right. No, I don't mind. <laughs> All right. Here was my verbatim response. No shit, Jerry. That's a big fucking problem. <laughs> I mean, we couldn't, we didn't put that on the air, obviously, because I promised I wouldn't. But so, you know, when, when I saw him executed, th this guy had murdered all these women. So uh, I, I didn't feel bad. Now, this guy, he was the most frightened inmate that I've ever seen. I saw some inmates that just seemed uh, resigned to the fact that they were going to die. When, when, and I, let me explain how it worked with the, with the um, electric chair. Yeah. You're sitting there in a witness room. There's about four rows of plastic chairs. And, and then there is a window, which maybe was, I don't know, four to five feet in front of the, of me and, and about two feet in front of the people in the first row. And, and then a curtain opens up. You sit there for, I don't know, 20 minutes. And then a curtain opens up and there is the electric chair and no inmate. And then a door opens up and guards bring the inmate slowly in. And on the top of his shaved head is a gel, like almost like, like blue toothpaste to conduct mm. the electricity. Mm. And then they, they put him in the chair. They strap him in with, with his arms, his legs, put the thing on his head. The warden says, do you have any last words? And then if the inmate says whatever he's going to say or he doesn't, they drop a hood over his head. 
the uh, the warden then who is on the phone to the governor just in case the governor gr- grants a last minute reprieve mm-hmm. and the governor doesn't he nods his head yes and then you see the inmate grab the chair as the electricity goes through him mm-hmm. and then and then a, a doctor comes out listens to him and pronounces him dead and 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 then this is this is sort of bizarre and and I don't know it, it's probably sacrilegious but this is the way I am. At the end of every execution, then a bailiff comes to the microphone and goes, in, in Stano's case, the state of Florida has carried out its execution of Gerald Eugene Stano at 9, 10 on whatever the date it is. And he goes, please exit to the left. And they do that every time. And I almost had the feeling after I'd seen it several times that when they go, please exit to the left, it's like a Disney thing where another group is going to come in. That's what I was just about to say. Like, this seems like the theater or like it's a full production. Like, do you have our run of show? Okay, Uh, we're going to open open the 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 curtains at this time make sure everyone is seated do you have your popcorn (laughs) that's really and then i expected to go into the souvenir shop you know like they show you on the roller coaster screaming and everything i mean that's that's horrible but every time they did it and and by by the end of the last execution i i I was just waiting for the bailiff to say it and going please don't laugh mike please don't laugh you just saw the guy executed but but anyhow I just find this so fascinating because of many of us will go through our entire lifetime and not even know that this is kind of the procedure or how, you yeah. know, you see little snippets on TV, but I would have never have guessed that it was just so blunt. Like, uh, thank you. Thank you for coming. Not even a thank you. Just exit to the left. Exit. Please exit to the left. That's don't trip on your way out. That's right. Now I I had another opportunity that I passed up. I was in Saudi Arabia right before the first Gulf war because uh, it was run out of central command, which is here in Tampa and general Norman Schwarzkopf ran the war and and he was out of here. So uh, a a bunch of journalists uh, went over there because there were a lot of uh, troops here. When we were in Saudi Arabia, we were invited one day by the Saudi Arabian government to go downtown to see people thieves hands cut off oh we passed on that one uh, that, that was that, that, that was too much it was too much for me and you know I, I don't have a weak stomach or anything but that one I decided yeah and, and all of us went no we're, we're not we're not going to do that um but but that that was a really fascinating experience going to Saudi Arabia and um uh, it, it truly uh, is a different culture where you have the call for prayer five times a day over the mm-hmm. loudspeakers. And uh, it, it was it was just an amazing, an amazing trip to uh, to go to Saudi Arabia and, and, and see our troops over there. Um, they gave us gas gear to carry because this is before the first Gulf War. And uh, they didn't know what Saddam was going to do. So one day we were going out to the middle of the desert to see the Patriot missiles, which were going to defend against the Scud missiles once the war started. And I came downstairs without my gas gear. And everybody from the Tampa Bay media said, Mike, where's your gas gear? Now, this was in December. They had a start date for the war three weeks later in January. They actually had a target date. I said, look, guys, the war is not going to start for three weeks. The gas gear weighs a ton. It's 115 degrees in the desert. I am not going to schlep this gas gear out there. So everybody goes, Mike, you're so smart. 
they all took their gas gear back to the room. So we're <laughs> now out in the middle of the desert and we're in a tent and there's a captain explaining to us uh, how the, the Patriot missiles will work over the loudspeakers. I don't know if you ever saw it on MASH, but they used to be on MASH. They used to go incoming, yep. incoming. Okay, yep. here they go. And they go, Scud missile alert, Scud oh missile alert. Well, the camp, the captain's doing nothing. So I figure, well, it's just a test. And all of a sudden, a sergeant runs in and he goes, Captain, Captain, we're under a Scud missile attack. And the captain looks at us. He says, you all sit tight. I'll be right back. He runs out. There's netting in the um, tent that we're in. And I see the Patriot missiles getting up to launch position. Then all of a sudden, the sergeant runs in and looks at us all and goes, gas gear, everybody, gas gear. Oh, my God. So my friends who it's thought all your I fault, was in. Mike. It's all your fault. <laughs> That's exactly right. I was not really popular then. So what they had us do, they had us serpentine, you know, like a snake to a bus. They got us to a safe house. And two hours later, it turned out that uh, the uh, it was a, a false uh, alert and every everything was cool. What, what had happened was Israel launched a test missile mm-hmm. and uh, forgot to tell the United States and the war almost started that day. So- But I bet you took your gas, you sludged your, your yeah. gas stuff around <laughs> from there on out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me tell you one other story about that. My other favorite story uh, about being there is uh, at the time, our station, like a lot of stations in the country, went through a network affiliate change. When I first went to work for the station in the early 80s, we were an ABC affiliate. Then we switched mm-hmm. to a CBS affiliate somewhere in the 90s. I can't remember when. Anyhow, um, we were an ABC affiliate at the time. Now, there's a 12-hour time dif- difference. So I was doing phoners back t- to the station and all that stuff. We had no sleep. And a, an associate producer for Nightline calls me, and she says, we heard about the incident with the Patriot missiles today and the war almost started. We want the video for Nightline. I said, fine. She said, but there's no uplink in Riyadh where you are. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to rent a car, drive across the desert to Bahrain so we can upload the video there. And I said to her, lady, I'm a little Jewish kid. I'm Jewish. I'm in an Arab country where war is about to break out, there is no way in hell I am going to drive across the desert in the middle of the night so you guys can have video. She said, well, Ted really wants it, meaning Ted Koppel. I said, Mm -hmm. well, you tell Ted to get his ass on an airplane. That's what I was about to say. (laughs) Put it in his hand. And then, now remember, I've had no sleep at this time because of the time difference and all. And she said to me, and what kind of reporter do you call yourself? I lost it. I said to her, I'm the type of reporter that doesn't give a fuck about a little associate producer who thinks she's hot shit working for Nightline. I don't give a fuck about Nightline. I don't give a fuck about Ted Koppel. I don't give a fuck about ABC News. You guys can fuck yourself and have a lovely evening. So about 10 minutes later. (laughs) That's how I am when I don't get sleep, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or eat. (laughs) Right. So I get a call from uh, our assistant news director, who who is also Jewish too? So he so he um he says to me, uh, ABC called and said you were a little upset, and I said, John, a little upset. This is what they want me to do, and blah. I went through the whole story. He said, Ah, fuck them. I said, That's exactly what I told them. 
That is insane. How long were you on assignment? I was there. Uh, I was about two weeks. Oh, my goodness. At any point <laughs> throughout all of this, I mean, because through Saudi Arabia, through executions, through any of this, did you think, like, what am I doing? <laughs> no, you know, I, I was born to be a reporter. I loved awesome. every, every minute of it that I could see things firsthand that people only vicariously could live through me. And, and so I never passed up an opportunity to do something, even if it was a little bit bizarre or pushed me out of my comfort zone because, because I, I just, I just loved it. I found it fascinating. But a lot of this, we just don't have the capacity to handle. So, I mean, like what, how, how did you push yourself? Like you said, this, this is a discomfort. So for a lot of us, I know for myself, when I get a lot of the videos on social media, especially like um, when the George Floyd video was circulating, um, it took me a while to bring myself to watch it because I was doing a lot of the activism work here in Dallas. And I was like, I have to see it. Good for you. But (laughs) uh, it was hard for me. And then it was like the next week, something was happening and the next week. So I'm just like this tiny morsel. And it's like you your entire career were were witnessing a lot of these things. So what, how did well, you, you but, mentally get through it? Well, you know, especially with the investigations, because that's that's where, where I really uh, sunk my teeth in the, in the stories. I felt that it was my obligation to let people know uh, about officials who are breaking the law, enriching themselves. Um, I, w- I was crazed. I was a bulldog. In fact, away from, from a TV camera, I am the most easygoing person in the world. In fact, my kids will tell you when I used to, uh, d- d- they're, they're grown now, would discipline them. They'd laugh at me. It was my wife who was the disciplinarian. And, and my friends who would see me on TV would go, who is that guy? <laughs> <You're not> like, <laughs> but, but I would get personally offended. Like, I did a story, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but it, it was it was toward the end where a um, a firefighter stole almost uh, half a million dollars from a charity for orphans. I mean, how does someone wow. do that? How does someone do that? It really personally offended me. Happily, what happened was the U.S. Attorney's Office, the U.S. Attorney in Tampa saw my story about it because there wasn't an investigation. And he turned to his uh, uh, staff the next day. He said, did anybody see Deason's story last night? A couple of them said, yeah, they did. He said, well, what the hell are we doing about it? And they said, "Eh." he he said, get the FBI on that case and get that guy. They arrested him. He was convicted and was sent to federal prison. So there was the satisfaction in, in doing that. But I always confronted a person when, when I did a story, I would go to the target of the story and our attorneys hated when we said the target of an investigation, but they were, they were the target, you know, I'm being honest. And, and uh, um, I would call them and say, I'm doing this story. This is what I have. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Sometimes they would say, I want to talk to you. Sometimes they go, no, I have no comment. And I, my standard line for no comment was that's perfectly fine. You, you, you can say no comment, but you're going to have to say it on camera. And, uh, and then I would say, you have uh, a couple of choices. We can do it in your office, which is your domain, or we can do it on the street, which is my domain. And you mm-hmm. can't say it's an ambush interview because I'll tell you where I'm going to stalk you. I'll tell you where I'm going to show up. 
and 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 I will stick a microphone in your face, and you'll have to say no comment to me. And and so uh, I always always got my, the bad guy on camera, and it was and it was truly satisfying. And that's part of the reason I had a lot of the Emmy nominations because the judges always like to see that <laughs> they do, you know. I mean, and at the end of the day, you got the story, or you got what the people or right. the viewers needed to see. Exactly. And there's exactly. a lot of people that wouldn't have the balls to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was great. Now, one time, this was wild. I got attacked. And and I, I got very excited when I got attacked because I went, this is going to be great for the story. Oh, and my gosh. You're one of those, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I, uh, in this particular incident, I couldn't use it in the story. What oh, happened okay. was I was no, I did use I used some attacks in, in the story. But but on this one, I was doing an investigation of the local o OSHA office. There was an internal report that was leaked to me showing that people were not showing up for work, were leaving early and blah, 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 blah. So I had the whole story put together. And then I had to get pictures of the OSHA employees who were the bad guys um, to, to put into the story. So I hung out in the parking garage, public parking garage, where OSHA uh, parked. And what I was going to do is take pictures of anybody that w pulled into an OSHA space and then I would have my source identified who, who the people were. Well, a guy pulls into an OSHA space and he gets out of his car and he says, you, we weren't hiding or anything. He said, you better not be taking a picture of me. I said, well, this is a public garage. I'm sorry. And he says, I'm warning you, you better not take a picture of me. And he gets louder and louder. And then he takes a briefcase oh to go God. to hit the camera. Well, at the station, we were always told that the cameras were more important than the reporters because they were expensive. <laughs> So you had to protect the camera. So I stepped in front of it and got hit in the face with the briefcase. Oh, Mike. So I'm going, man, this is going to be great. Are the cameras were any other additional cameras rolling? Did y'all get this? Did y'all get we this? Got, oh, we got it on camera. No, he, 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 it was all on camera. So so the, the problem was, as it turned out, because we were able to trace his license plate, he was an undercover DEA agent. Ooh. And had he told me that, Obviously, I didn't want to expose an undercover agent, but he wouldn't tell me that because he had been disciplined before for par parking in the OSHA spots, which were closer to the elevator oh than the DK spots. <laughs> so oh. I called the U.S. attorney's office. I knew the U.S. attorney. I said, listen, here's the deal. I have him doing an assault on camera. Um, I need him to call me and apologize. And the U.S. attorney said, well, I don't know. He's sort of a hard-ass guy. I don't know if he'll do that. And I said, here is the deal. If he doesn't call me by five o'clock tonight, I am taking that video to the state attorney's office tomorrow. He will be charged with assault, will probably be uh, fired, and possibly could be jailed. And mm -hmm. he said, okay, I'll try what I So like at two minutes to five, the guy called me to apologize. Now, it was not no. the most heartfelt apology. I have ever received, but nonetheless, he, he, he did apologize to me, but I couldn't use the video. It had no relevance in the story. Oh my goodness. That is so, crazy. So you, you've gone through a lot. Yeah. <laughs> now, I want to get in your business because you're in Florida. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, so listen, you, all, all the crazies are, are in, in Florida. They're yeah. Crazy. Here y'all are completely just, what is COVID? That doesn't exist here. So I'm being I told. Know. 
Yeah, I know. Well, but wait a second. You're in Dallas. Come I know. I, I didn't know you were going to turn it on me. I thought you well, were going to no. at least let me place at least most of the blame on Florida. Hey, <laughs> but yes. You, you guys run, you know, hand in glove with us for craziness, right? We do. We do. We're, we're actually really crazy in Texas. So, yeah. Um, so we're neck and neck. But, ne- but yeah. But you've got Tiger King and, and Carol Baskin. So we yeah. can't top that. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's 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 true. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, they're doing a um, a follow up to Tiger King. They interviewed me for two hours about that because I spent two days with Joe Exotic. Oh my and Did an investigation of uh, Carol and 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 uh, Big Cat Rescue, uh, uh, which I do not like at all. Um, w- one of the things that I learned in doing the elephant documentary is that true sanctuaries don't let the public in to see the animals. They Mm. try to recreate as much of a natural habitat as possible and let the animals roam wild. Carol, on the other hand, raises money through the cats she has at Big Cat Rescue as as she asks people for donations as they come in and they can see the cats and all that. Um, and, and, And I have some real questions about her husband uh, and how he disappeared. It it um, it just doesn't pass the smell test. Now Joe Exotic is nuts too. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, really? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So so you know, uh, Joe is crazy. Carol is is crazy. And if I had a place a bet, I would I would say her husband came to an undue end and somehow ended up with the cats. Yeah. Uh, just like we all were thinking, like, we're like, mm, that, don't, mm, that don't sound right. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, but it's his disappearance. I mean, and there are things that are forged and in and, 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 and the will and all that. It just, you know, and, and Carol admits that she met her husband when she was working, I, I think she said as a hooker uh, uh, on Nebraska Avenue. Um, um, it, 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 she or she was didn't have the best character. Maybe I shouldn't say hooker, but but she did not have the best character. So how was it? Because you're you you were obviously you're very skilled at what you do. Um, Joe is a little out there. A lot, <laughs> Car- a lot of Carol that. is a little out there. So just like body language and and just facial expressions when interviewing them, what was your take on um, the entire situation? Because it was definitely he said, she said. Um, it was just a lot. It's a lot of well, layers there. Yeah. Well, you know, Joe's. I, I didn't go to Oklahoma to see his uh, facility, but mm-hmm. I've seen pictures of it and it, that didn't look like the best facility to me in the world either. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and Joe was just nuts, but had this vendetta against Carol because of a, uh, uh, an issue where she made him change his name and all. And, and he was out to get her. Did he actually hire a hitman? I don't know. I honestly, I don't. I mean, I, he's crazy as a loon, just absolutely crazy. But um, uh, did, did, did he hire a hitman? I'm not sure that, that he really, really did or knew what he was doing. Um, he, he's not the uh, sharpest knife in the drawer. Oh my goodness. You know? This is, this is 
I mean, I just would have liked to have been a fly on the wall. I found the entire, I watched the entire series probably in a matter of two days because right. I just couldn't believe the, these type of people existed <laughs> or, right. or it's like, like it's fascinating. Well, it's like a train wreck. You, you know, you can't turn away from it you know? at all. He showed up at the TV station the the first day that, that I met him in a tattered hat, uh, a dirty shirt, and had an entourage of women, of crazed women with him. It, it, it was just, it, it, it was weird when, when the receptionist called me up to the front there, she, uh, my you know, phone rings in the newsroom. She goes, uh, uh, Mike, you have a guest here with a bunch of people. And I could tell by her voice. I said, Connie, what's wrong? She said, oh, you'll see. (laughs) I wish I were a fly on the wall for that. That is amazing. Oh, my gosh. Mike, you have so many stories. Like, I want to do you do Clubhouse at all? Have you gotten into Clubhouse app? I don't know Clubhouse. Oh my gosh, I've got to get you on Clubhouse. Okay. Because this would be, so they have like these rooms and you can theme the rooms and people can kind of come in and sit. It's almost like virtual panels, virtual Q&As. And people from all over the world can come into the room and um, hear whatever topic you're presenting. So there's like a lot of business stuff. There's fashion rooms, creative rooms. But for me, I'm like, I meet so many amazing people like yourself where I'm like, I would open this up in Clubhouse and we could just do a whole Tiger King room and be like, I have an actual investigative journalist who well, actually got to meet them in person. <laughs> I, I, I will I will look into it. That's that's very cool. That's yeah, because I, I, I've got to know more like this is this I'm and, and more more of your stories because this is fascinating stuff. Just well, let me let, let me let me give a quick plug. Yeah, I, I have a book out. Uh, called bad news for you is good news for me. It's also on audible. Uh, it just, uh, I finished, uh, it, it was a bear to, to, you know, I've read thousands of my scripts over the years. I was in the business 50 years. Um, uh, but reading a 232 page book out loud mm. is really tough. Thank God for editing. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Sound articulate. But uh, um, uh, personally, I would get the audible because I think because th- it's me telling the stories like I'm talking to you. But if- oh, that would be great. I'm not an audible person, but you're very animated and I can I would be able to follow along and probably yeah. laugh. So uh, I, I would definitely. Yeah. Bad news. Bad news for you is good news for me. It's it's on Amazon or on Audible by Mike Deason. So that's my quick plug. So what's it? Tell me a little bit. What's it about? Well, there's a chapter on executions. There's a chapter on presidents that I've met and covered. There's a chapter on hurricanes. You've, we've had a couple of those here in Florida. There's a, a chapter on uh, tragedies in space because we have the space coast here in Florida. Um, uh, uh, there's a chapter on uh, some of the more unique people that, that uh, I've met. You know, I've just got these goofy stories uh, about people. Let me tell you one about uh, Larry King because he just died and he was, he was just a great guy in the um, 2000 uh, Florida Convention for Presidents, an open nomination, and uh, the one that obviously uh, George W. Bush won. But every presidential candidate came to Orlando for the state convention. I mean, it, it was big time. And all the networks were covering it and, 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 and all of that. And um, so we wanted to do an interview with King. 
And his people said, well, his time is very tight. I don't know whether we can fit you in. All of a sudden they called us and said, if you can get over here in the next 15 minutes to his hotel room, uh, we can give you the interview. So I walk in and there's, there's King with um, his uh, suspenders as he always wore. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's got no tie on and just a white shirt. And he's got no shoes on. He's barefoot. And, oh. and King goes, fellas, you know, that's how he talks. And he called everybody fellas. He goes, fellas, if you promise not to shoot my feet, cause my feet are killing me. You can have all the time you want. So <laughs> we're talking to King. He's telling great stories. He was just wonderful. And 10 minutes is up and his handler comes in and she points to her watch and he sees this out of the corner of her, his eye. He goes, Nope. I made a deal with these fellas are not shooting my feet so they can take their time. And then he, she, she was really irritated. And then he went, go on, let's keep going. This is fun. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, sometimes the big stars are among the nicest. It's just their handlers that, that get in the way, you know, to keep people away from them. You know, I've told people that <clears throat> myself, I'm not as decorated as you, you know, I, I cover fashion. I still cover fashion for many publications. And um, sometimes when I get the interview and I, I get the subject in front of me, I'm like, man, they're really cool. But dealing with your publicist and I'm a publicist, but right. dealing with your publicist and your team and your manager and your agent, man, they really make you look like you're the asshole, but you're That's not. A- you're actually cool. <laughs> <laughs> they're the, some of the the nicest people in 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 the world are 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 major stars. I mean, now there there are some that are just you know they 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 forget that they're just normal people they're, that they put their pants on you know one leg at a time. But most of the the big stars that I've I've encountered and the politicians are really nice people. You know. Yeah. That's- so. Uh, but this book, I mean, this book seems super juicy. I wish all, you know, I wish all journalists or investigative journalists would do something similar to this because I feel like there's so much that doesn't make it onto the big screen or make it onto the TV screen. And and you guys have just, you've interviewed so many fascinating people where I, I love a good story. So right. I'm sitting here feeling like, Mike, I know you have more. Like I could uh, talk I to you, you forever, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have I have tons. Uh, Let me tell you one more about um, Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia. Oh, yes. Let's do it. In Star Wars. Okay. When Star Wars came out in 1977, I was working in Norfolk, Virginia for the NBC affiliate. And uh, I, uh, among the things I did was anchor the noon newscast, which was an hour. And their idea was they wanted it because we were an NBC affiliate to be sort of like the Today Show where we did news, but we did interviews and all that. And we used to do interviews with uh, uh, stars that were in in movies. And and back in those days, they didn't do the satellite uh, tour like they do today. You actually flew out to Los Angeles Mm -hmm. or New York or wherever to do the interviews. So I would rarely pay attention to what I was going out for till I got on the plane because I had a long flight to um, um, Los Angeles from Norfolk, Virginia. And I get on the plane and 20th Century Fox paid for the, the, the plane ticket out there. And they insisted you fly first class, which is for, pretty cool. So I, I get on <laughs> and the first thing they do is uh, give me a um, 
uh, a Bloody Mary was in the morning and a Time magazine. And on the cover of Time magazine is Star Wars. And I go, Star Wars, Star Wars. Where the hell have I heard about this before? And I go to my press kit and, and I say, oh, my goodness, I'm going out to do Star Wars. And we talked to Harrison <laughs> Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. Uh-huh. Carrie Fisher, I'm doing the interview with her. She's wearing a, a black pantsuit and the zipper is coming down on the black pants and I'm seeing her underwear. So when we, we finished the interview, they only give you five minutes. This was back in the film days. They, and then they did the cutaways. And I said to her, look, I don't know if I was making sense or not, but I've got to tell you for the next guy, your zipper is wide open. And I've been staring at your underwear throughout the interview. Well, she just laughed. She's oh, we should have talked about that. And she just goes, you are the funniest interviewer I've ever had. I love you, blah, blah, blah. So I'm thinking this is pretty cool. Princess Leia thinks I'm really cool. Years later, I read in a book, she was so high on cocaine during those oh, interviews. Goodness. So it wasn't me. Uh, you know, I wanted to think it was me, but it was the cocaine. But that, yeah. That- <laughs> Mike, that is hilarious yeah r.i.p to carrie fisher she was she was very she was very very cool so yeah but that yeah that that's in there i mean just like i say i've 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 been blessed with a wonderful career i never worked a day in my life still don't just did things that i truly truly enjoyed and that's what i'm still doing you know well i'm happy to support you um, I'm pretty sure everybody's going to be so fascinated after this. So, you know, go, definitely grab the book off of Amazon. It'll be linked in the caption. Visit MikeDeason.com. That'll also be linked in the caption. And Mike, I already have our follow-ups to this. So we're going to do one specifically just on Tiger King because that's okay. amazing. And then we'll do another one. I want your take on bloggers. Okay. Fair like, enough. Bloggers. Who claim to be journalist? Ooh, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I think that will be super juicy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want your take on that. Okay, so. and I got some good presidential stories too. Uh, yeah, we yeah. got to get into the presidential ones, but we'll yeah. we'll definitely chat offline because I think that, especially um, in light of your book as well, that maybe um, yeah, podcast, but with Clubhouse kind of being the new audio uh, social media app, I think combining that too. I want more people to hear this. So well, thanks. Well, we'll as you see, you, as I, as I told you, I do not have problems talking. <laughs> You've been the best. Like I've, I've been so entertained. You have no idea. I'm like, Ooh, we got to hurry up and edit this one and get this one out. Cause everybody, they go on their morning runs and they listen and you know, they they're doing their makeup. And so this is one where I can easily see people just being invested. So thank you so much for oh, thank you. I, I, w- I wish you continued success. Thank you're, you. You're a really good interviewer. I love you. Oh, coming from you. No. That's take my bio and say the yeah. Mike Deason said. <laughs> and I love you. I love your laugh. You have a really infectious laugh that makes me Thank happy. You. It makes me smile talking to you, Leah. Thank you. Well, this entire interview, I, I've been smiling and laughing throughout. And like I said, you you will be a friend of the podcast. We will definitely have you back um, because we have to hear more of these stories and your very colorful career. I would like to 
call it. And just thank you once again. Is there anything else you want the audience to know before we close out? You know, no. Here's the my my one suggestion that I tell everybody. They say, "You have any advice?" I always say, "Find what you love to do and get paid for it, and you'll never work a day in your life." And that's yes. that's what I do. Yay! And there you have it, you guys. So you know what to do. Any words for Mike? You can hit me up, Leah at Think Three Media. Dot com. You're going to want to subscribe to this podcast. Share this one out. This one was like, I felt like I was just sitting at your feet like a little kid. Like, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> Share, rate, and review. We will have Mike back. So you're going to have to stay tuned because if we open up a clubhouse room or we do another podcast episode, you're going to want to be tuned in. So follow us on social media at PR Yourself Podcast or hit us up online, PR Yourself with LeahFraser.com. Thank you guys all for tuning in. And until next time.